0: Hello, and welcome to Stream It, the podcast where we explore movies. Old favorites, new favorites, and every so often, movies we love just a little bit less. This is Season 4, Episode 4, and today we are going to be talking about Best Picture winner Parasite from 2019. As always, my name is Zachary Ortz, I am one of your co-hosts, and I am joined this week, just like each week preceding this week, by my good buddy Matthew Watkins. Hey, Manny, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. Yeah, surviving. The listeners can probably hear in my voice I got a little bit of a cold, so in the in the canonicity of uh, stream it podcast recording you remember from a previous episode that I had uh, had gone to the hospital apparently I picked up a cold from the hospital so this is the chain of events I'm going through
0: yeah I guess uh, sick people go to the hospital I know it was only so the last episode we did was with Chris Logan of best and best of the rest and I know our episode before that was was just you and me for crush and then for the listeners the episode before that was the the untouchables which we recorded just the two of us but we recorded two guest episodes in the middle of there so it actually feels a little weird to be just the two of us yeah it does yeah no one we have to perform for we can just sort of do our show yeah yeah it's It's been fun having the guests but also you know we started i've enjoyed having the guests
1: so much yeah, so they've all been so in. great. Yeah. Uh,
0: so let's dive into Parasite here. What is your... or Actually, wait. We should talk about why we chose this movie first. The, So *The Parasite's a movie that has been on my list to watch for a long time. And I wanted to watch it. I knew that it was highly regarded. And I thought it would be nice to finally cover a Best Picture winner.
1: For sure. And for me... I thought this one was really useful as well because so much of the content that's on Hulu is very, it's not very diverse. And so mm-hmm. we wanted to get some things that are. So uh, having one of the options available that isn't just a, a very uh, white person-centric film off of Hulu was a really important choice for us because of that.
0: Yeah. So what the, I had... If it wasn't clear from the intro, this was not a movie that I had previously seen. I knew very little about this movie. Um, I knew that it was Korean, and I knew that I would have to watch subtitles or have to read subtitles. And then I knew one other piece of information that, honestly, I wish I hadn't known, so I'm not going to say it here. And I, I really went into this one pretty blind. Oh, and I did uh when I asked Mary if she wanted to watch it with me, she was like, "No, it's supposed to be scary." So, um I knew <laughs> that my wife had heard somewhere that it was scary, which it was not really. So, I don't I don't yeah. know where she where she picked that up from.
1: Not a scary film at all. Um no. in in my experience.
0: What what's your your history with this one? You've seen this one before?
1: I had seen this one before. Um, this film was recommended to me by friend of the show, David Stewart, um, who does... you've Everybody's heard him called out a bunch of times because David's done a lot of the editing for us. Um, and well, that might he... not be
0: true. If no one listens till the end of the show, then no one hears him get called out. Um, wait, what? If no one listens to the end of the show, if everyone only listens to the beginning, then no one's heard oh. him get called out yet. <laughs> I so it's really good to mention, mention joke. him at the top.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's good to mention him at the top. Um, <laughs> sorry, I missed the joke. It went over my head, and I was like, what did, what's going on here? Yeah, so everybody listen. Uh, David, he does a lot of the editing, and uh, we're very grateful for that. But he recommended the show. I don't know if he directly recommended it to me or just that he was talking about it a bunch on social media, and then I picked it up that way. But I know that, uh, that I watched it because... David had watched it and seemed to have enjoyed it. And so I watched it. It wasn't that long after it came out. It was picking up a lot of buzz. And I watched it back then and knew basically nothing going in. So it was very much, you know, all of the twists and turns really caught me by surprise when I watched it the first time.
0: Yeah, it was really a movie that just sort of had... Like, it got a lot of momentum leading into the end of the year, like around, I think, October, November, December, and then leading into awards season. And it wasn't necessarily a favorite to win Best Picture. But then around, I think, January or February, there started to be a little buzz like, oh, this movie kind of could go all the way. I think it was starting to do well at some of the smaller awards this was before I really tracked all of that stuff but it was something that I really started to see people talking about on Twitter a lot like it seemed like everyone on Twitter was saying watch Parasite watch Parasite watch Parasite and I obliged by refusing to watch the movie so yeah I mean
1: it was it's sometimes it can be really hard when movies are getting buzzed like this because it wasn't easy to get a hold of this movie to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then it's really easy for it to slip through the cracks and then all kinds of different things happen. So I'm not surprised that you haven't seen it. And the time that I watched it, like you said, it was at the end of the year. I watched it the day before I watched The Rise of Skywalker. So it was like in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of a very densely packed movie season but i i watched it because i was trying to get 100 movies that year so i was and i was short like 12 movies in december so i had to watch a whole bunch to get them all
0: in so mm-hmm. um and i we should also say i guess we could say in stats but i don't have it down so i'll say it now um it won it debuted at the can film festival and it won whatever the whatever the prize is that you win at Cannes Film Festival. The Palme the, d'Or. Yeah, Palme d'Or. So, and it's one of three movies to win, the Palme d'Or and Best Picture. Very impressive. Yeah. It, it's one that, as, <laughs> as I've been listening to more movie podcasts and sort of tracking all of that stuff, it's one that came up a lot this year because... The path that Coda took where it was a dark horse and then became a fan favorite and then just had all of this momentum until it eventually became inevitable when they opened that ballot on Oscar night. It's one that got cited a lot as Coda following the same path that Parasite had taken just in terms of getting that momentum and people rallying behind the movie.
1: That makes sense, and it also makes sense because they're films that are that are debuting for audiences that aren't necessarily mainstream U.S. audiences. And because of that, they need a little bit of um, community building behind the film in order to yeah, make that Oscar push. And Parasite definitely picked that up. Uh, uh, I don't know what the marketing looked like exactly for this film. But I remember hearing so much about it on the internet and so much buzz leading up to the Oscars and similar with Coda.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about 2019. And we don't have, we just did The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse episode just came out maybe, well, I guess it was like two months ago for listeners now, but we talked pretty in depth about 2019 and what a dumpster fire it was then so we don't have to go too deep on that. But there was some stuff that we had pulled that was South Korea specific. And then I also did want to mention, like, we in the United States don't tend to think about South Korea as much, or at least, like, if you go on the 2019 Wikipedia page, it's really dominated by North Korea. And there's because there was a lot of stress surrounding North Korea at this time. So this was the time period in February of 2019 was when Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un had their summit in, can't remember where where that neutral location was. And North Korea and- Is in
1: Singapore, I believe. In Singapore. We talked about it on the uh, Crazy Rich Asians episode.
0: That's right, that's right. And North Korea, it's not something that's, Explicitly mentioned a lot in this movie, but I think it is clear that there is South Korea is aware (laughs) that they're neighboring North Korea, so
1: yeah, I mean, which is an obvious thing to 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 see. It's obviously something that permeates a lot of a lot of just normal, casual, everyday interactions for folks that are living in South Korea. But you know, it is otherwise, it doesn't have a lot of direct consequence to this film yeah
0: and then we had kind of both pulled the same things from south from south korea over here but why, why don't you go through it what you had here manny uh in april 11th 2019 the
1: parliament in south korea ordered abortion to be decriminalized and that went into effect in 2021 so it took them two years to figure out what those laws would look like and all of those things and I found this one to be, for, for one, really impactful to me as a watcher now in 2022 with all the things happening in the US. But additionally, I found the way this film deals with gender roles in particular to be really interesting. Then there's a lot of nuance to it. And so I think these kinds of ideas and understanding. That context is particularly important to understand the way the film is addressing the generals within
0: it mm-hmm. And then in September of 2019, the Korean Parliament moved to ratify the ILO conventions regarding the regarding unions and labor And I don't want to go too deep on how this, relates to the movie because i don't want to be too spoilery but i think it will be obvious once once people view it
1: yes and i think it'll also be obvious to anyone that's familiar with with the director's work from before parasite mm. uh, you would see some common threads there
0: yeah so in the in the lighthouse episode we went through the top 10 highest grossing pictures of this year so we don't need to do that now but i did want to go through the best picture nominees because i do think that's a little interesting and it's also kind of a weak year for best picture i think i don't know i haven't I, I think you've seen more of these movies than i have but parasite obviously won as we talked about and then ford v ferrari was also nominated looks like there were eight this year and there are some nominations that are a little mm, i wouldn't say head scratching because it does make sense but disappointing <laughs> maybe would be a better way of putting it the irishman was also nominated this year did you, did you ever watch the irishman maddie yes
1: i have seen that one yeah um I saw it. I would not uh, have given it best picture, so... Yep. Yeah.
0: I, I agree. I, I liked it fine. I would not have nominated it here. Jojo Rabbit, which is one that has been on my list to watch for a while. Obviously, Taika Waititi is someone who I am immensely fond of and just... Mm-hmm. Uh, Jojo yeah. Rabbit
1: was a contender for me. Uh, it was one of the one of the ones I picked out uh, that I would have been glad if it had won off of this mm-hmm. list.
0: Yeah. Uh, your, Do you know how many films you have on FlickChart for this year? On 2019? No, I yeah. don't know. You have 95. 95. And our yeah. next Best Picture nominee is number 95 on that list, and that is Joker. Yeah.
1: yeah. Not, a, not a film I'm a fan of. If people can t- chat with me. We don't need to get into it too much here, but yeah. I don't know. Not one that I love. I'm not surprised it's on the list, though.
0: Yeah. And then uh, Little Women, a movie that you and I both adore. Yes. Marriage Story, a movie that you have seen and have been trying to make me watch for, well, I guess since 2019.
1: Yes. And folks, at some point, if Zach ends up watching a marriage story, (laughs) just just everyone know that there is a specific reason why I'm telling him to watch it. And so, you know, I don't want to spoil what it is. Anyway, continuing on.
0: Uh, 1917 a movie that has been on my list and it's currently on fubo fubo for streaming but i'm like i think i should watch this movie without commercial breaks so yeah. i have you did you watch it
1: no i haven't seen it but it's on yeah. my list it's uh, roger deacon's film and he's uh one of my favorite uh, cinematographers of all time so um yeah i just need to get around to it
0: yeah, and then finally, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, also one that I haven't tried and I don't think I will ever get around to. I was just going to add, the the one film for me that, uh, that it, this won't be a surprise, but the one film for me that I felt like really should have been on this list that wasn't was The Farewell. Um, and for me, it's a toss-up which of The Farewell or The Parasite should have won the best picture because they're, they're both uh, very incredibly shot beautifully acted, wonderfully written films. But the fact that The Farewell isn't even on the list, I think, uh, is just frustrating to me.
0: Yeah, Uh, I wanted to play a little game here. I don't know how well you were going to do at this game. You might know already, but I pulled your top five films from 2019 from your flick chart. I was curious how you would do at guessing what those films are what your number one film you did just name which is the farewell yeah the farewell do you know any of your other top five
1: i can't remember what came out in 2019 specifically so it's hard for me to to tell i so, don't think parasite made it into my top five i'd guess it's like six or seventh on there.
0: uh it's actually much lower which makes me wonder if it's actually correctly rated on your list
1: oh it might not be then yeah
0: um, number five was nominated for Best Picture.
1: Uh, was it Little Women?
0: It was, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then number... I'm trying to think of a good hint to give you for number three. Number three has a was directed by a director who is very near and dear to your heart, who you have spent a lot of time defending knives out yes knives out at number yeah. three okay and, excellent and then Cause that's oh, ryan
1: johnson and i'm so excited for uh we've got a ryan johnson film coming up later this season but
0: continue oh, we do i don't think yeah looper looper is a ryan johnson film oh i didn't know so, well now i'm stoked yeah. for that yeah and then exciting. your number two film hmm what would be a good it's a film that both number two and number four are both films that are based on a true story
1: Uh, that didn't narrow it down for me very much (laughs) that doesn't help you no
0: no i will tell you because i don't know them well enough to uh come up with good hints but number two is when they see us and number okay yeah
1: the the ava duvernay uh miniseries which is delightful i i forgot that came out that year but delightful is not the right word it's very traumatic but it's a wonderful thing that everybody should go see
0: And then number four is The Assistant.
1: Ah, the first film that I watched from that year. So, and... Yeah, The Assistant, that one is... uh, Similar in... Actually to, like, Parasite in the... In kind of the production design and the cinematography kind of directions that it goes. And the cleverness and the, the... tightness of the script that both of them have uh, and the tightness of the cinematography wonderful film that I think uh, a lot of people should watch it's a very good one
0: yeah I thought it might be fun to because we are talking about a best picture winner and it is a lot of nominees that I know that you were a little disappointed got there so I wanted to give you a chance to talk about some of your most beloved films from the year and probably films that some of our listeners also loved for sure yeah Let's talk a little bit about the personnel and our stats that go with this movie. This movie had a very tiny budget of fifteen and a half million, and it made a little more than that at the box office. How did it do at the box office, Maddie?
1: It did $260 million at the vo- box Yowzers. office. That's crazy! That is so much money for for the budget. That's just mm-hmm oh it's it's absurd i don't know if this is the best return on investment film that we've covered on stream it but it's in that kind of category it's that is a ridiculously good return on investment
0: and our director here bong joon ho this was his first film to top 100 million internationally so this was this was exactly as big a hit for him as it seems like it was
1: yeah a huge huge film in the box office for for him also for South Korea this is the highest grossing film in the South Korean box office internationally it's only I think the 12th highest film domestically within South Korea but it's the but the next closest film the Admiral did 140 million uh, mm. and then you, there was I can't read my own own handwriting here extreme job did 120 along with the gods to 110 and then number six on that list with what was it like 90 million was trained to busan which we covered earlier uh, on stream
0: yeah and we talked a little bit on that episode about how it helped pave the way a little bit for parasite to make the jump over and open open the gates for it to be able to become the first non-english Language Best Picture winner. And it did really well at the Academy Awards. It also won for Bong Joon Joon Ho, won for Best Director. And then it also, obviously, (laughs) as is so frequently the case when this happens, won for International Film and then also managed to garner it for Original Screenplay as well. It had two nominations for which it did not win. It was nominated for Production Design and Film Editing as well. Yeah, and
1: I don't know what one for production design, but... I think it was Ford v. Ferrari. Yeah, it's... You know, I don't want to cast any shade on the folks over at Ford vs. Ferrari uh, and the work that they did, because uh, from what I could tell from the trailers, it looks like very good production Ooh, design. I'm, I am um, lying.
0: Ford v. Ferrari won for film editing, and Once Upon oh, a gotcha. Time in Hollywood won for production design
1: okay well i'll cast all the shade on once tom once upon a time versus hollywood uh in hollywood whatever the name of that song what that film is um yeah that should not have won on top of this the production design on this film is phenomenal and it's such good production design that i think it's basically invisible to a lot of people um and like they built this entire house and the entire house uh, we'll get into this let me save that for after the spoilers but the The production design on this film, Parasite, is incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah. I w- I was wondering whether we should put that in the front section or the back section. I think it would probably be fine anywhere, but probably just a little safer on the right in the yeah, back half. Makes sense. Have you have you seen any of this? Any of our director's other films?
1: Uh, I've seen Snowpiercer. Um, yeah, so uh, I saw Snowpiercer before I saw Parasite, actually. Mm. Yeah. And Okja has been on my list of things to watch that I haven't gotten around to, but it's one that I have very much wanted to see. So
0: That's his film immediately preceding this one, and I think it's a lot of the same production team. It's the same composer, same cinematographer, right? Yes, correct. Uh, so it was not previously on my list, but now it certainly is. For sure. Do you want to say anything about him as a director?
1: oh he's great i mean he's really really good i having seen snowpiercer and this one snowpiercer is an incredible film for what it's doing it is one of the best films that i can think of within its particular like for its particular audience Mm -hmm. and if you're the kind of person that would like snowpiercer then i think you should definitely watch it and you'll love it with that said it has a very narrow audience um you need to be okay with like some pretty graphic violence, including uh, mentions of uh, infant cannibalism. So you know, it's not it's not an easy film for most audiences to watch, but it is a very good film. And you know, if you're if you're going to be okay with watching those kinds of things, I highly recommend Snowpiercer.
0: Yeah, I I'm not. Uh, obviously, I haven't seen any of his other movies, but when I was reading up on him a little bit, I guess he has the nickname Bongtail, which is it's an elision of his a family name and also the word detail because he's known as a director who is just always so prepared and one of those people who you could pause the movie at any point in the frame and everything that's on there is intentional and everything has been meticulously planned out and meticulously thought out and we'll talk about some of the painstaking detail that went into especially the production design once we get into the into the back half of the show but it shows up uh one thing we can mention here is that so he
1: storyboarded the entire film in extensive detailed storyboards and you can buy a a graphic novel version of the (laughs) storyboards of this film and that that's just to be clear that's not actually typical for someone to go to that much painstaking effort to storyboard essentially every frame of the film beforehand and the the film matches those storyboards and the only places where it doesn't is things where it seems like they came up with better ways to do it on the day that they were filming
0: yeah that makes sense Looks like they filmed for about a hundred and I think a little over 120 days.
1: So that's a pretty long shoot.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely felt long for this, especially for the type of movie it is. And oh, <laughs> I lost my train of thought for a second. The it, It's also, I think there are some similarities to the lighthouse in terms of like composition of the shot but i was also surprised to see that in terms of how many cameras they were using they also went with a very limited amount of cameras for shooting this shooting this film and so because of that there was some strategic editing that went into went into the final product yeah makes sense
1: Um, And that's probably a, you know, part of it I think is uh, Bong Jun ho has this, he likes to be able to see what's on the camera and not have everything, not have so much shot by second unit directors so things that he's not going to see until he sees the dailies mm, um mm-hmm. so i think he wants to be able to see as they're filming it exactly what's happening so that's a limiting factor in how many cameras you're going to have because he can't be looking at you know 30 different cameras all the time and then 30 is an exaggeration that usually if you're wanting a lot of coverage you'll have like four or five or you know six cameras
0: something like that Yeah, coverage That's um, the word. that's the word i was looking for also right. if you know what shots you want you know what shots you want yeah, so you
1: don't need you don't need so many cameras. You you you, you have your one camera. Maybe you will have a camera for coverage just for certain kinds of scenes. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So and then additionally, I would assume that there's also just an economical detail. Having more cameras costs a lot more money. So, um, sure. yeah. So yeah, if you if you know what you're going to want and you know that you're going to want a limited number of cameras anyway, then why, you know, shell out the money for a whole bunch of other cameras to try and get all that coverage and other units and other, you know, all the other people that are involved in lighting and, and maintaining the cameras and hauling them back and forth and uh, getting them all into place. You know, you cut down on the labor for every camera you don't have as well.
0: Yep. And then he also, I guess the composer, uh, Jung eel, Il, who had I had mentioned also worked with him on Okja prior to this and then I have not yet watched Squid Game but he's also the composer on that and I guess really really excellent work on on the score for this movie and he was pretty exacting. So he did, it sounds like for some scenes up to four different treatments of the composition for that scene before it was something that they finally agreed was, was the right thing for the movie.
1: Yeah. It, it shows the score is so, is so precise within this film. And, I don't know. I, I loved the score for this film. If honestly, it doesn't. It didn't stand out to me too much, except for at this one part where I'd been watching it on on Hulu and there was ads, and I came back from the ha- ad break, and all of a sudden the the score was a bit different than I had remembered, and because I didn't have the transition from scene to scene, it threw me out of it, and I, I wasn't sure if I'd turned on some other music somewhere and it was playing over the video or something. So I had to fiddle with the sound sound settings until I figured out exactly where it was at.
0: Yeah, it's a very minimalist score, except for um, like it's really leans into that Baroque feel. And it's a lot of places it's just four or five instruments or maybe even just a solo piano or solo harpsichord. And then there are a few times where it's able to get bigger. Yeah. And then we had one other person. It's been a long time since we had a crossover, but we have one here, Manny. Who is it? Yes, we have Choi
1: Woo Shik, uh, Stream It Crossover, official trademark. Um, uh, yeah, who was one of the stars on the film Train to Busan. If you remember Train to Busan, he was the the baseball player that had that girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so he shows up here again in, in Parasite he's basically i don't know there's the main characters are him and his father kind of and i am not sure even that i could define who precisely is the protagonist of the film uh between those two but it's one of those two and he does a phenomenal job in this film great acting really good performance
0: yeah yeah absolutely should we do you want to mention anyone else or should we move on to any final advice or insight we have
1: yeah let's go on to the advice and insight all right what do you got okay so the first thing for me is uh we had both mentioned here on hulu that we're watching it is the service that has ads on it and so there's ad breaks throughout it while we were watching on hulu and I got to be perfectly honest, the ad breaks really detracted from this film in particular. Um yeah. I have I haven't noticed it as much on some of the other ones we've done. That like uh, some of the others the ad breaks were fine and I could go away and then come back and whatever, but this one really broke up the action for something that's so precise. Really detested the ad breaks on this.
0: Yeah, I think Hulu has some sort of formula that they use that they're going to find a scene break within the first 20 minutes and then another one within the first 40 minutes or something like that yeah. and really just pick whichever one is closest to those timestamps. But it's really unfortunate because there, I, I don't think it's impossible to do with this movie. There are some longer scene breaks where it's intent. Like if they had done them in the act breaks, I think I probably wouldn't have really noticed at all, but where they chose to put them for this film was, yeah, I I had the same experience where it was a bummer. So I don't know if I have any advice here. I mean, this is stream it, you're supposed to watch it on Hulu. I don't want to tell (laughs) people to spring for the premium version just so they can watch Parasite. But I guess I'd say like, you know, be prepared that you're going to be a little jarred coming out of the out of that ad break. And probably what you did is better than what I did which is you know go ahead and if you rewind after the ad break is over then you'll get the real transition and so you might be bet- better off watching just the previous 30 seconds again there were only two ad breaks when I saw it and both yeah of them I only were had two
1: crappy. yeah I had only two as well and they were both pretty bad so not not fun the other thing that I wanted to add on here is the who had weird sub subtitling for this I don't know if you had on like, the subtitles, besides the subtitles that are naturally on the film.
0: Oh, no, I did not.
1: Yeah, so it doesn't have... So Hulu has... It has subtitles in English that go underneath of the film, just all already. But then Hulu has the other subtitles that are turned on. And, you know, I could have gone through all the settings, the ridiculously detailed Hulu sit- settings, to go turn off those subtitles but i didn't want to do that work because i'd have to turn them back on for everything else that i watch Mm uh so i left the subtitles on but they only had the extra subtitles in spanish so i was watching it hearing it in korean and seeing english subtitles (laughs) plus (laughs) spanish subtitles underneath of it uh luckily you know i'm fluent in both uh english and in spanish and so it wasn't like it actually wasn't a problem, and sometimes I'd read the, the English subtitles, and sometimes I'd read the Spanish subtitles, and sometimes they'd be different in the translation, and that was that really not fascinating. Surprising, yeah, yeah. Well, it it kind of enhanced my experience, to be honest. The the differences it it detracted from my overall experience, but when there was differences in the translation, I was like, oh, that's interesting, and I got a lot more perspective on what I assume the actual Korean language is using there and so that was kind of a fascinating viewing experience
0: i think i read that he did do he did have a direct hand in the english subtitles so they they are they did work pretty hard on those which is good (laughs) yeah for sure for sure that's what you want to hear
1: yeah definitely it's a it it did not feel at, at points where like the subtitles were dramatically terrible as as a translation but there were some parts where the the spanish translation was slightly different in a way that you could tell that it's a word in korean that has multiple connotations to it Mm -hmm. um and so those connotations would be layered into the meaning as you're as you're watching it if you were watching it originally in Korean and understood the korean uh, you would get the layers of the the semantic meaning there that maybe you wouldn't pick up watching it in just with the with English.
0: Right. Yeah, makes sense. The only thing that and Matt, if you tell me you think I shouldn't have this here, then we'll delete it. No one will ever hear this section. But the only other thing that I kind of wish I had known is this movie is labeled as a dark comedy. And I think I probably missed some of the intentional humor because I just wasn't quite in that mindset for the movie and th- and I was able to pick up on it more when I was re watching scenes after I had done a little bit of research. But it's a tough thing where I think you really want to know as little about the plot as possible going in here, but I do wish I had known that. I don't know. What's your sense about that? Should we cut this? Um no I think that's actually good.
1: It's because it's I don't know, I don't it's weird because comedy doesn't really it's not that it's not comedic, it is funny but I wouldn't ever categorize it as a comedy like if I was looking for this film at a movie store like a blockbuster a thing that used to exist the dark comedy section is not where I would go to at all and like there is it is dark at some points but it, I don't I wouldn't even really describe it as that kind of film either I would just describe this as as you know a uh just as a drama i would just categorize it as a drama to be honest
0: so my guess is that there are once i saw this and when i was thinking about it is that there's some cultural differences here that there's some things that would strike people as funny in south korea that just went completely over my head so that's why i thought it was something useful to mention here yeah
1: possibly I'm, i'm not sure
0: I don't know. If I ruined your viewing of the movie, <laughs> uh, I don't know, tweet at Matt or something and blame him for not telling me to cut this.
1: Yeah, it's a... I don't know. The, it, the film is definitely funny, and it uses a lot of satire and caricature, In but I wouldn't define it that way, if, if yeah. that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that awkward back and forth, behind us. Let's take a break, and we'll be back with spoilers. All right, welcome back. We are now going to spoil the movie, so if you didn't pause in time, get out of here. Why don't I, because it was my first watching, why don't I go first with my reaction and how how it hit me? So the I mentioned at the top of the show that there was some stuff that I wish I hadn't known. And I knew that this movie just from Twitter and I think some people being like people don't like this movie because it's a critique of late stage capitalism and class distinctions and all that sort of stuff. And I or class class disparity and I think that is, like, not really clear. The point of view that the movie has on that doesn't really become clear until maybe, like, two-thirds or just a little over halfway through the movie. And so I had all of this baggage where I was, like, I I just—it made the front half of the movie a little more stressful or a little more confusing— I don't want to say confusing but it was just this feeling of like man I feel like everyone is kind of reading stuff into this movie that is not here. And I
1: I get what you're saying, yeah.
0: And I, I yeah, it it was really kind of a bummer to have that because the begin it it didn't take away from the wonder of like trying to figure out what was going on in the movie which really is a lot of fun for I think about the first hour of this movie or so and the um, so yeah I wish I hadn't known that I also had this very strange experience with the score and I think the reason I it spoke to me so much on an initial viewing is there were maybe three or four different moments where I was like, oh, I can't wait to look up and see what piece of music they used here, thinking that it was a piece of classical music that I knew or that was famous, when in reality it was all, well, it's not all original compositions. There are two, there's an aria and then an Italian art song, I believe, that's used. But those have vocals, those are obviously cribbed from somewhere else, Yeah. Uh, are they diegetic? The, the the
1: what is it, Caro um, Mio I can't remember. Yeah, it's yeah, not Caro Mio
0: Ben. That's, that's the other oh. famous one. But it is Cara something. Mi Caro yeah. I can't remember. Mi Caro Bene. Yes, yeah, that one's it. Yes, it. that's the one. Mi Caro Bene. That one is diegetic. And then the, the handle opera, I believe, is not...
1: I cannot remember for sure on that one. So, but uh, I think you're right that it's not, but the second one is.
0: Um, so anyway, yeah, I, man, I was so taken with the score and I was just listening to it over and over and over today at work. I, just, I think it is so good and I really enjoyed the ride of this movie. But I think I I think I found it a little less emotionally affecting than I otherwise would have because I had this all this stuff in the in the back of my head, which was a little unfortunate. I, yeah. A lot of it's a me thing, you know. I just like can't get that stuff out of my head. It sucks. It's horrible.
1: <laughs> it's it's also kind of a uh, watching films in the internet age, which I think is something that you know is kind of our domain here at stream it is that mm-hmm. when you're watching something that's been talked about in so much detail and like people have done articles and articles and you've seen headlines and you've seen like screen caps from the film and gifs, and all of those kinds of things um and it, so you come into the film and you have this um what do we call it like a the interpretive community has already processed it so much and you've picked up on some of that processing mm-hmm. yeah. that it makes it difficult to watch it without like feeling like you have the interpretive community sitting over your shoulder, watching you, watching you watch the film and like testing you to see if you're having the same reaction to it that they did.
0: Right. That That's, especially for that first hour or so, that's really what it felt like where it's because for the first hour or so, it's really like it's hard to have a reading on that where the lower class or the um the people who are perpetrating the con are not the bad guys like they're getting presumably good people fired from their jobs and doing pretty bad things so i was like i just i guess i'm like the bad guy you know because i'm viewing the our protagonists as the bad guys So, yeah, it really did feel that way where I was, like, being judged by people. And the scene where it switches, then, like, instead of feeling the switch, which we'll talk about when we get to that, I do have that scene down. Instead, I just felt this, like, relief that I wasn't a horrible, uh, bougie, rich person, you know? Which, actually, I probably am.
1: but. That you were seeing what other people were seeing, but you yeah. didn't get that until... And and it, the film does this deliberately to you. This is what Bong Joon-ho is... I think that's the purpose, is he's wanting you to to view this family as these parasites that are worming their way into this other family, and they these actions that they're taking are, as, as they're getting people fired from their jobs, seeing the, you know, just... It's so toxic, and I think that's—I think you're supposed to feel that way until the turn happens later on, and then suddenly you're you're seeing things from a very different perspective, and that whiplash I think is a part of the the experience that you're supposed to get, uh, and part mm-hmm. of why people were able to pick out that message so easily.
0: Yeah, and I was able to experience it intellectually, but I wasn't able to experience it emotionally, if that makes sense. So I still really liked it but it probably kept it from being the same experience a lot of people would have been able to have in in 2019 i i will say though that the <laughs> oddly and this might be an a thing but because there because there are so many stills that have been like I've seen across the internet and I don't know if I even necessarily realized they were from this movie they did make those particular shots more impactful for me so in that case Mm -hmm. it actually worked to my emotional benefit for this movie because it was like oh oh that is a great shot and then I'm really able to like take in the shot and see all of the stuff that went into it in a way that i don't think i would have been able to if it was if i didn't have that that background or that previous knowledge that makes sense yeah uh what about you that how did it hit you on your second viewing here on rewatch Yeah,
1: i really enjoyed it on this rewatch i think i liked it more this time than i did the previous time but i, I enjoyed it a lot the first time that i watched it as well i think that just because it's a kind of film that is I think most people are going to enjoy it more on a repeat viewing because it's so dense and because uh, everything has meaning, all the, you know, every bit of the production details and all of those things. And so this time as I was watching it, I was able to to see those things a little bit more clearly and rather than the first time where, you know, I was... Uh, trying to figure out what even was going on. The first time that I watched it, I had kind of had this... The film is called Parasite, so I was like, I guess this is a horror movie I'm watching. And it's not, and I, you know... And so I think I had some of that relief from, like, waiting for the monster to come out, or whatever it mm-hmm. was. And this time I got to just kind of watch it for what it was. So, so I don't know. I, I liked it a lot this time. Enjoyed it very much.
0: Yeah, nice. Yeah, definitely there was... I think until they found the people in the basement and it became mm-hmm. clear what was going on there, I'm not sure I would, would, I don't, I'm not sure I was ever, I was 100% confident that there wasn't going to be like a contagion outbreak at some point mm-hmm. until that point. So because it is called parasite. And so I just didn't know, you know, I didn't, yeah. Wasn't sure. Do you want to say anything else about initial reaction here? Or should we talk about some specific scenes?
1: No, we can go into the specific scenes.
0: Okay. The first scene that I had is the, I called it in our show notes, a belt of trust. And that's what the track on the album is called. And the, it's the scene. So it happens right after, right after the daughter convinces the mom to, to have the husband of the family meet with our with Mr. protagonist Park. dad with Mr. Park yeah
1: yeah Mr. Park and Mr. Kim are going to meet to hire him as a driver
0: Mr. Park and Mr. Kim yes thank you mm-hmm. and the so and Mrs. Park says oh no I think it's much better to hire people based on reference I think this is how a better way to do it and she says a belt of trust and then it starts this seven and a half minute sequence of the final con that they pull to get their mom installed as the housekeeper and I think the piece of music behind this while this is all going on is just absolutely unbelievable and helps every like there is a weird the piece of music that underscores this is really really incredible and there's a th- this is what i was talking about bef- before the break about how there's comedy here that i didn't pick up on on my initial viewing and i think all of this high stylization that happens it happens throughout the movie in various places but also happens a lot in this scene i think that stuff that is you're supposed to be able to take as funny rather than as something that the movie is taking seriously. So you have the shots of her, them like very dramatically getting the peach fuzz off of the peach with the razor and then them like walking by the housekeeper and flicking it at her. And it's very dramatic and the music is soaring, or not soaring, but it's crescendoing. And it's just this very dramatic thing, and you have you also have the funny moment of him taking the selfie of her at the at the hospital, and he's smiling for the selfie. And I loved this little scene at in the middle here where they're coaching the dad on how to act, uh-huh. coaching Mister Kim on how to talk to. I love that scene too. Mrs. Park about it and it's like, "No, dad, your your emotions are way up here and you need to bring them down to here." Yeah. And, uh, you
1: know what it made me think of is it made me think of the birdcage um, Yeah. with the with Robin Williams, you know, the the eclectic celebration of dance but keep it inside.
0: Mhm. And then finally culminating in this absolutely ridiculous hot sauce packet that mm-hmm. they show them drizzling on the pizza and then if you have time, you know, if you're able to, it'll be really great if you can get it on the napkin. And this shot of him just like raising the napkin and giving giving Mrs. Kimmel look of sorry, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's it's horrible. He pulls it out so slowly
1: yeah. and yeah, it's great.
0: And yeah, so I Really love this scene. This is probably when the movie. This is when the movie like finally clicked in for me. When I think I find not not in the sense that I like wasn't enjoying it before this point, but I don't know that I had a good sense of where the movie was going until this point.
1: Yeah, I think I can't remember my first viewing well enough to know if that's how I felt as well. But I think that's sort of accurate. I love that they're you know taking out this housekeeper with peach fuzz and then there's a scene later on where they're like having the fight and uh, yeah. jessica goes in and grabs the peaches and is like attacking and her with the peaches matter, yeah. <laughs> and i don't know it's just i found that to be quite hilarious and just the way that mr kim is like trying to talk about it, but also he's like, I don't I didn't want to say anything, I don't wanna be a snitch, you know, but you know, I'm thinking about public health and safety and all of that kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I found this part really enjoyable. I thought the performances were very good just all the way around. And yeah, I enjoyed that a lot.
0: Yeah, I would have sworn this is this is the piece of music that has like the one static note and then a bunch of descending notes on the melody and I would have sworn it was a Bach piece. I it, I tried Googling to see if there was a specific Bach piece that it was inspired by, and it looks like no one else has had this particular thought. So, Or if they have, they haven't written it down in the internet in a place where I could Google it in English. So <laughs> uh, I was a little surprised by that, but it has the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I, I loved it. I I'm going to put a link to this specific track in the show notes because I listened to it so many times today. I do want to ask you... This is one of my bugaboos in movies and I just happened to notice it or maybe I'm bringing it up for the first time on stream it for this one. Do you or anyone that you know of have your texts set to auto delete
1: your text Um, messages
0: in your phone? No, I don't think so. No. Yeah, but everybody in movies do. And this is something that, like, I know there's a lot of things that we suspend our disbelief for in movies, but this is one that every single time it happens, it reminds me that what is on the screen of that phone is something that has been edited in, in post. And yeah. I know they're making a decision not to have previous text messages because they don't want us paying attention to other things that are on that phone, Yeah. but it is something that always takes me out of the movie and it happens in this scene. There's, uh, it's when he texts the texts his daughter to say that he'll be home in three minutes. And those are the only text messages that show up on the screen. And yeah. it always yeah. bugs me.
1: Yeah. It's always takes me out a little bit, but I don't, I usually don't think about it too much, but. When something doesn't do that and they have like some texts that are above it and obviously those texts are crafted and they're a performance just as much as the other ones are, but it gives this verisimilitude of like a conversation that's already been happening, um, Mm -hmm. previously those, it really, I like it when that happens. So for me, it's not that, not, not that when you don't have the previous text that it takes me out so much, but when you do have them, it really brings me in. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So this scene sort of ends our first act of the movie, I think. And it's when the at the end of this scene, the con is complete. I think this probably would have been a good place to place one of your ad breaks.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Is after this scene. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say?
1: Oh, well... Um... Back on the subject of the text messages, I watched Mm. something just today that had really excellent use of text messaging. So it was the new Marvel TV show, Ms. Marvel. So I don't want to spoil things about it, but it does have excellent use of text messaging there. So anyway.
0: Oh, man, I am. I am hyped for that. We just uh, placed when when we're recording this episode for all of our listeners. Yep. Do you have anything else you want to say about this scene? Uh, That's it. Oh, no, you know what I did. What else I did want to say about this scene is there is a monumental theme that runs through this entire movie, and it's this idea of having a plan and this idea of enacting yeah. a plan until finally Mr. Kim says, yeah, th- really the best plan is to not have a plan because then nothing can go wrong. And that idea is... I think that has a lot of various—I think that affects the way you view the end of this movie, which we Mm -hmm. can talk about at cleanup. But at this point, you get to see the high point of the idea of having a plan. You get to see the plan enacted from the beginning of the first con all the way through the fourth con here, where they— plan everything out meticulously and down to the dialogue that goes exactly as they rehearsed it to being able to put the hot sauce on the napkin and yeah so i, I wanted to call that out
1: yeah and it's this perfectly executed heist uh up mm-hmm. until this point yeah and you know uh, the the this first act really is basically a heist movie and I thought about that as well when he talks about having a plan later on, and, and then it gets called out, that same language, at the end of the film. The other thing that I thought was particularly interesting, and this one is, I have to attribute this to, there's a guy on YouTube by the name of Thomas Flight, who does these cinematography breakdowns of different things, and he did a breakdown particularly of this film, and he talked about this theme of crossing the line that Mm -hmm. Mr. Park says earlier. And then if you take this scene that we're talking about right here, and you look at the cinematography, it establishes clear lines on the film between... The Parks and the Kims at each part of the film and they don't cross those lines between each other. Whenever you have them on scene, there will be a line in between them dividing them from each other. And it isn't until later that they start to cross those lines later on in the film. And then in the promotional stuff for the film, you also they promoted it with a lot of lines either dividing the family or across the character's eyes. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so that's where a lot of this is coming from. And if you pay close attention to that, you'll be able to notice these lines. And so uh, I included in the show notes here a link to that video. And you can go look at his his breakdown of those things. And he shows you at the pictures, the images, so you can see those lines broken down.
0: Yeah, why don't we use that to segue into our next scene? Because it's actually something that is explicitly called out here. So this is... Mm -hmm our uh sex scene for the movie so yeah our uh our littlest littlest park is camping in the backyard and because the kims got got caught out here they're having to hide under the table and be witness to a nice little sex scene between the between the parks and in so this is the moment this is the moment when everything i believe is supposed to come into view because you find you see him talk about how mr kim has a smell and how he just can't get that smell like and that's when it really becomes clear it became clear to me the idea of the class distinction here and it's like it doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter what you make me think of you you cannot cross out of being a bottom dweller you cannot cross out of being someone who's below us and that's something that they intentionally did with this film they use the different layers of the house that they're the kim's residence is below the ground and where the old housekeeper's husband lives is below the ground and then as you ascend further in the house you get to move up but this idea that like when you come from down there you don't get to cross you don't get like your smell will never come off of you this this smell of boiled rags and this idea of crossing the line he calls it out explicitly here he says mm-hmm. what i like about mr kim is he whenever i'm afraid he's going to cross the line he doesn't cross the line and that's good i like that but his smell his smell does cross the line his smell makes it from the back of the car or makes it from the front of the car to the back of the car yeah. and i don't like that
1: yeah yeah and it's a, uh, and and all these moments where Mister Kim will respond, he kind of like smells at himself, and he lifts up his shirt at this moment mm-hmm. in the film, yeah. and kind of smells his shirt a little bit. And this stuck in my mind so clearly at at that moment where the the water comes down, and they have they have to pick out like used clothes and all of those things. How strong that's how strong that smell would have likely been afterwards. It's a fascinating thing to use as a literary device or a, a cinematic device when you're watching something and it has to be all visual and you can't smell what the characters mm-hmm. are smelling, but it comes across so well in the performances and in the cinematography that it makes a lot of sense. The other thing that I find fascinating about this scene is they they have this, you know, they have this little sex scene and he says to her, like, uh, do you have those panties from the from the poor the cheap panties from earlier, and then she says, "Oh, buy me drugs,"
0: uh, mm-hmm.
1: which is so weird. But y- you see that the these rich people for them it's like a fetish or like cosplay to act like these poor people, and and so th- th- they see this kind of performance and they use that performance as as their fetish and. It's really, it's funny, but also really illuminates the, the boundaries between them, and it's disturbing at the same time.
0: Yeah. Was was this the scene, was this the same scene that you were thinking of when it switches when you have that realization?
1: Yeah, well, I think also, and I'm thinking right before this is when the door opens and they see there's the, the door downstairs, right? Yeah. Um, and yes, so, yeah. so for me, that was a really important part as well, because I realized like there is, is this secret that is underneath of this house that these rich people didn't see that they weren't aware of. And there's, there's like, this is the, the actions that they have taken, um, have caused this family to like live in hiding underneath of their in underneath of their building so for me it's that scene and then this one as well that kind of really flipped for me what it was that i was uh, supposed to
0: be getting out of the film got it yeah i did not i think i was too engrossed in the surprise and the mystery of what was going on under the house too because yeah. at that point i still was like is there going to be something supernatural here to to really pick up on on yeah. any of that
1: yeah, it makes sense. I, I think that I had figured out by I, I don't know, I can't remember for sure, but uh, by the there end of this scene. Yeah, by <laughs> the end of this scene I I I realised what it was that the film was doing. You mentioned how there's all these scenes where, you know, moving from high to low and the, like the Kims live in this sub basement and the parks live in this this mansion on a hilltop. Uh, mm-hmm. But one of the other things that the film does is it shows you in the cinematography constantly what you're seeing is these hills and characters moving up and down hills. And that's the mm-hmm. way that they designed the, all of this stuff. So this house they built specifically in this area – on like a specific hill in order to have those shots of them going up the hill and then the multiple layers of elevation of the house in particular so the house like goes up the stairs and then it has like these it has these angles that go up and so everything feels like you're moving up or moving down through all of that stuff and then the same thing with the kim's house that's in like the slum in the sub basement that's all a set as well that they constructed in order to create this feeling of things con- constantly moving downward and that's why I say the production design on this film is so incredibly good because they don't feel like sets uh, the no, way these are I, made.
0: And I was unsure if I was like, hmm, is it something that's nice to know before going in that they built the entire house? And I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but they and they talked a little bit about how they worked pretty hard because. You, the way you would build a house, if you're building a house, if you're building a house to film a movie on, you're going to build different things. And that's going to be more have different things of import than if you're designing a house to live in. Right. And so they talked about how they had to balance these two things where they created this. Fictional architect this fictional famous architect who had designed this house and they needed it to feel expansive and feel special while also feeling like while also being practical for them to film the movie on. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I couldn't believe they took into account here was they they worked really hard before they built the house to know which way the sun was going and where the yeah. sun was going to be coming in because they wanted to use as much natural lighting as possible. And it's really important to the film. Like they talk about how nice the yard is and how sunny it is out there and how they have the big windows so you can see out there and the sun comes in and they can look out and see their their sun camping And I I never would have thought about it. It would have been like, well, I hope we built the... Built the house in the right way so that the sun doesn't mess us up <laughs> i hope we don't have to put shades over everything
1: and additionally along with this the the kim's house is built so that there's not any sunlight coming down mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so they also built that house in the kind of like the exact opposite so that they would be able to control all the light they got in there that you wouldn't have any sunlight coming in while they're filming and so then when you have that moment where he walks up to the park's house the first time and the sun comes around the corner and he's like standing in the sunlight for basically the first time in the entire movie, it's a, it's really kind of watching it on second watch. It's kind of an emotional thing. Like he doesn't see natural sunlight where he lives and he's seen it for the first time, not the first time ever, but you know, he's in the for the first time in the film when he goes to the park's house
0: it's our first time seeing him in the sun yes exactly should we move on to our next scene here
1: yeah let's go on to the next scene
0: sort of segue in so this is yours what do what do we got here
1: Yeah, so the the Kims are there at the house, and the reason why the Parks came back, they were on a camping trip, and they had to come back because there was a storm moving in. And it's, you know, this big storm, and it starts raining pretty heavily, and so the Kims are stuck in the house, and then they have to get out and escape the father, and then Jessica and Kevin have to escape and make it back to their house while this storm is going on. We see the storm happening, and this tent that's in the backyard, it's raining on the tent, but the son, Song, he's just sleeping in the tent, you know, and having a good time out there as this rain is going. Um, and the water's kind of coming down, and you can see it on the windows a little bit, but the house is mostly isolated from the effects of this storm. But then as the kims make their way back to their house and they're growing gradually down farther and farther and farther towards where their house is at you see that there's this huge flood that has come through the neighborhood uh, and they're making their way through and this is sewer water that has come up out of the sewer that is down in the streets and the kims make it back to their house and their entire house is flooded like up to their shoulders uh, basically and all of their things are wet. Everything is all over the place. There's, they're in sewer water. And then this moment where Jessica goes into the bathroom and the toilet is spewing out black fluid out of, the, out of it. And she sits on the top of it above the water. It is just such an incredible image from this film. And it's the one that sticks in my mind the most. And so this was for me the scene when I watched it originally that really, really hit me because you see just the, the way the parks are protected and isolated from the effects of, the, of nature on them. They're, they're protected from nature, whereas the Kims are completely victimized by, by nature and they are victims of whatever natural thing might occur. So the thing that was going on in my mind, I was thinking about climate change and the way that the effects of climate change affect poor people in dramatically different ways from rich people. So I'll turn it back over to you on that scene.
0: Um, Yeah, this this scene or this shot that you're mentioning of Jessica on the toilet and the water all around her. This was one of those. I think there were maybe two or three shots, but this was the one that was most impactful where I was like, oh, I've seen this shot before and I don't know if I recognized it was from this movie but yes this is an amazing shot this is very impactful and god I can't imagine composing this shot this scene was the reason that they it was one of the practical reasons why they actually had to build their home why they couldn't use one because they had to be able to flood it and (laughs) control that control that flooding right
1: and just the the image of the toilet being like the toilet being above the water and the house where they were living being Mm -hmm. below it is is just very iconic from this film
0: yeah and that the the hot the previous hot sauce had almost this like cartoonish coloring to it and i felt the same way about the sludge coming out of out of the toilet here yeah something that's just has a little bit of heightened to it to i agree just push your buttons a little bit and i was also struck watching this the first time like clearly they're walking down like they're trying to get to their home but it feels like the water is like flushing them out it feels like it's like yes no you are not able to be up here you ha- go back to where you came from go back to where you belong and there are shot there are shots of the water rushing down and flowing down that really made that impactful for me even on the first watch
1: yeah, and uh, all of that stuff has to be deliberate because there's so many like planned and like very carefully placed shots of toilets in the film uh, mm-hmm. that I think this idea of the Kims being flushed down the toilet, uh, it just it makes sense for what they're going for.
0: Yep. That's all I have for that scene, though, so we can move on unless you wanted to say something else. No. Let's go ahead and move on. All right got the big one here we got the climax so this is yours the
1: climax yeah this one for me this is the weirdest film in the in the movie and it's the one that i am the most like the most the reason why I didn't love this film as much as maybe other people is this scene right here. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the climax of the film. So they decide to have this impromptu birthday party. And they have this, like, teepee in the backyard. And they invite all these rich people over. This is the day after this massive flood. This massive flood that is displaced thousands of people in their community that are like sleeping in a gym and they are essentially refugees and these rich people the next day are able to just turn around and have this impromptu birthday party they come and you know all these rich people they're like hey don't bring any presents and they all bring presents anyway um mm-hmm. and they come and set out the this uh, all these tables in the backyard and then you have Somebody that comes and sings the the Italian song and they've got like... Did, did they have like a piano out there as they're going? I can't remember for sure. I don't know if they so. had a
0: piano, but they had at least some string instruments.
1: Yes, that's what it was.
0: They have some string yeah. instruments
1: out there as it's going. And this huge part of that they're d- doing... And then the, the really strange part here is they dress up as American mm-hmm. Indians. They put on headdresses. And then they have this plan to ambush the birthday party. Uh, and at this moment... The guy in the basement is able to get free, comes upstairs, grabs a knife, comes out to the birthday party, and starts stabbing some people. Jessica gets stabbed, and she's lying on the ground, bleeding out. The dad is over her, trying to save her life, and then you have this amazing moment where Mr. Park says, give us the keys, you need to take us out of here, or I can't remember exactly what he says, but he wants them to drive out of there and leave Jessica there to die. Um, mm-hmm. And at this moment, the, the Mr. Kim picks up the knife, goes over to Mr. Park, and then stabs him to death. And the whole party descends into chaos, and this is where the the movie hits its climax. Uh, Mr. Kim is able to escape and hide in the basement from there. But it's a very wild scene, and there's so much going on on this one. But there's some things about it that I really love, and some that uh, just, I don't know... Don't hit me quite the right way, but I'm curious what your thoughts are about it.
0: Um, Yeah, I'm guessing we have pretty similar experiences here. The stylization I like a lot here. I was a little unsure at first about having Mr. Kim break and kill him, but I actually think I like that a lot. I think it sort of shows the futility of trying to climb. And also, like they we've got mutual they're parasiting off of each other here. And so I don't yeah. I don't think letting like it's obvious how the Kims are parasiting off of the parks, but the parks like don't know how to do anything. There's several yep comments about how they just don't know how to run their house or they don't know how to clean or they don't know how to cook or don't know how to drive or whatnot. So I think it's I think it's important that you show that he experiences consequences for what he did to the other people who are just trying to live their lives, and that it or maybe experience consequences is the wrong way, but I think it's important to show the futility of it all, and Mm -hmm. it it didn't bother me that he faced consequences. Having Jessica die was a pretty big bummer Um, yeah that i don't really just felt like it made her character inconsequential in a way which is in a way that wasn't really dealt with just because she's the one who made everything possible like without her forgery and without her pretending to be the person at the firm none of this is able to happen like she's the linchpin that makes the entire con able to work so it did feel a little like we were just throwing her away to kill her so quickly and the son both of them have like throwaway comments of like yeah and i'm sad she's dead <laughs> obviously yeah, i'm sad yeah. she's dead and so it didn't feel like that was dealt with perfectly uh, yeah,
1: and uh, honestly, all the women characters in this film, I don't feel like get their um, get. F- I don't feel like the film treats them entirely as their own characters, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, and there there's the particularly weird thing about this isn't related to this scene, but in the initial scene it like before he's even gone to be a tutor or anything her old tutor says that the mom is a little slow or a little simple and I didn't I don't know what I was expecting based on that comment I don't know if there's like a cultural difference here or a translation thing but she didn't act the way I would have expected based on that comment it seemed like she was pretty adept at running the house and was pretty astute. Like, wasn't any more or less incapable than Mister Kim, and had the same yeah blind spots as him. Yeah,
1: I agree. They're they're both very gullible people, and it's not like she's particularly more gullible than he is.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did like the violence here, though. I don't, I'm guessing it was a little rough for you because you have a harder time with you're a little more squeamish than i than i am but i i thought it was a nice way to cap off the movie and just sort of added to the the heightened nature of everything
1: i i would actually agree with that i think i think that worked really well and particularly the thing that for me, is this image that from the violences when they stab when they stab with him the in the side skewer. with the sausage skewer, yeah, and then the dog <laughs> is chewing the sausages off the skewer later on, yeah, and that shot is just oh, it was so good because it just reveals the way that you know even the dogs in this uh, in this family are treated as more as human beings than the people that they are the the poor people that they are considering under them
0: yo those dogs are garbo town this is one of my when i stopped to think about it i was like how did those dogs not notice people creeping out from the basement every night if someone creeped into our apartment my dog would go ballistic and you expect me to believe there are three dogs that just like don't care
1: yeah, I don't know. They're particularly... I don't know. They're just... I guess they're just rich people dogs. They don't... They... they <laughs> I guess so. so. I don't know. So, yeah. To, uh, and then... I think that the way that the film treats... I, I don't know. I've, I'm really torn over how the way the film addresses the American Indians. With the headdresses and the teepees and mm-hmm. there's this thing yeah. going through. And I've seen some... I've seen some, like, articles and things like that as I was looking around where people are like, oh, this is a metaphor for, you know, the mistreatment of American Indian people and things like that. Uh, but then when I looked at interviews, the director, Bong Jun ho was just like, oh, yeah, uh, we use that because American Indians are an old thing that doesn't exist anymore, and we thought it was ironic that you'd have kids dressing up like something that's old and ancient and doesn't exist. And that immediately for me was like, well, no, like, I know a lot of Indian people. I grew up right next to a Paiute uh, reservation. And this isn't a thing, like, that is, uh, American Indian tribes are still a real thing. They're, you know, they are living, breathing people that have cultures that are still, like, dynamic and the, the way the film kind of de- dismisses it as an, a fossil or something that just is extinct, I, th- I found that one of the most problematic things for me in the film.
0: Yeah, he may have meant the offensive stereotype of Native Americans, the offensive stereotype of them as Indians is gone, which that's probably a more generous reading of it. But even then, that's not really true, um, right. as you said Native Americans, Indigenous people are real, live human beings. And the... I mean, for goodness sakes, the Cleveland Guardians used to have a name that... that this is a Major League Baseball team that recently changed their name and recently got rid of an offensive logo. So, Exactly. And hadn't, yeah. hadn't yet done this when this movie came out. So I... Yes, I, I also found this troubling. It's not something that I was going to be like super up in arms about because I assume, I don't know, I'm, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt that if there was just a little more education or a little more understanding, it wouldn't have happened in this way. And, you know, if you don't live in the United States, I guess maybe you don't know exactly how stuff is over here. But yeah, I. I also and even it. if you do,
1: to be perfectly honest, but um, well, sure,
0: yes, fair yeah, enough, yeah.
1: But I do, I do understand that perspective. That it's you know these are there's a little bit of leeway for a director coming from South Korea that may, might not be fully updated on the American politics surrounding indigenous people, but it is something that takes that takes me out of the film in a significant oh, way. Oh, Definitely, yeah. So and i think there are ways there are readings of this that actually that actually do work and i think there's things about it that work but there's things about it that definitely don't so
0: for sure um i don't have anything else to say about this scene we can move into cleanup here sounds good Uh, i only have one thing for cleanup i wonder if it's the same thing probably is Should i go or should you go you go you go Okay, we should talk about the end of this movie because it is, I think it's a very cool end of the movie. And I'm talking specifically about this idea that he is the son is going, like, sees his dad giving the signal that he's there through Morse code and he's able to decode this Morse code. And so he makes a decision that he's going to become rich. And. At this point in the movie, I was like, what is going on here? Are we really going to end this movie with a pull yourself up by the bootstraps so we can have a happy ending? And that is what happens, except then it goes back and there's a the movie ends with a frame of him in their I think, in their old home, Right. Not only and, in
1: their own home, but it replicates the first shot of the film.
0: Oh, does it? Yeah. Um and I'm I guess, I guess I didn't look it up, but I'm nearly certain that this is supposed to indicate that that whole idea of him buying the house was a fantasy, was a dream that did not is not going to come to fruition. Was yeah, I mean reading of it as well. That's
1: definitely my reading of it. And I think it also is very indicative of the message of the film that mm-hmm. that the solution to this kind of thing is not to have poor people like climb up that ladder and become the rich people and then still be leeching off of other poor people. It's to dismantle the structure that separates the people into these two into these
0: two groups. Mm-hmm. Was that yours? Did I take yours? No, I have a very different okay. one. Yeah. Well, yours.
1: Okay, so one of the other things that was really weird about this film is the relationship between Kevin and the park's daughter.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: That's really weird. It was, I don't know, that was really strange. So I went through to do some research on this. And uh, a lot of other people have commented on this and things like that. At the time when this film released, the age of consent in South Korea was 13.
0: What, what are their ages supposed to be?
1: Uh, it is not clear. Um,
0: okay.
1: Yeah, so Kevin is graduated from high school, and he has done some military service. And so he's probably in his early 20s, something like that. She is in high school, so it's not clear what her age would be, but probably somewhere in 16 to 17, I would guess. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know, That that was really strange to me the age of consent laws in south korea have since that time been updated and now the age of consent is 18 i can't remember it exactly there's there's different levels to it uh it's not but it's not what it was before it's not 13 anymore so that was kind of strange and there was a lot of discussion about this relationship and the way that it would be seen in south korea and all those things and a lot of people were like, oh, well, you know, that wouldn't have been seen so strange because people care more about age gaps. And other people were like, no, 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 that's not true. This would have been seen strange. Like everybody would have seen that relationship and, and seen it as problematic at the time period. And so I wasn't able to pin down what people what people actually thought about this when this came out. But it's, mm. I don't know, that a very strange relationship uh, and problematic relationship. And it's hard for me to figure out if it's a thing that was just put in there and then they weren't thinking about it too much or if it was a thing that was meant particularly as a critique. And I could see it from both angles, but I'm not sure what the intention was.
0: Yeah, so I think it kind of, at least for me, it kind of served a dual purpose where on, like, I think initially it's supposed to be misdirection. Like, you think it's going to, or at least I thought, didn't realize it was going to be a full family con i thought it was going to be a story about the two of them and actually the first note i have in my notes is when they kiss i was like oh my god they already kissed at 12 minutes into the movie (laughs) this movie's moving so fast but then of course it wasn't about that at all so i think it was at that point it was intentional misdirection but then i think the after that the layer that's important is this viewing of her as a way out and a way like the only way to cross this line like when they when they're fantasizing in the house and it's like well we're here and we're getting to live this life but the only way we'll truly get to live this life is if we're able to marry into this family and so i think that was the other important bit to take there
1: that's the other thing that i noticed as i was watching the film this time Uh, so i was just want to see if you had the same thoughts about it because i think part of what that is saying is that is critiquing this idea of the exploitation of this girl in order to as the only way out for this family and Mm -hmm. that the all of these relationships are built on exploitation and even the daughter in this family is being exploited by the parents and by the Kim family, both of them. And so all of their relationships are parasitic relationships, no matter what angle you look at them from. Because it, as long as you have these separations of class, you aren't, aren't able to form real relationships because your relationship is totally dependent on where you stand in r- relation to that line.
0: Uh, yes. I I am on board with you for this one. I only have one other bit of cleanup, and it is... Is this... Is The Rock... Is The Rock just a MacGuffin? Like, I don't fully... It felt like it was supposed to be deeper than it ended up being. It felt like it was set there to be Chekhov's gun. Yeah. And then it came back at some point. Like, he almost hit the the public urinator over the head with it but then instead it ended up just well being used to brain him
1: yeah so he gets hit in the head with the rock later and then they take the rock and they i don't know Oh, i guess they
0: put it into the stream they put it into yes the
1: pond yeah like i, I don't know i, I yeah, think I there's th- something with the rock but i can't figure it out
0: the, yeah, there must be. I've, I forgot about that scene of them putting it into the pond. So there must be some intentionality here. And there's also the sequences where he's like holding on to it, but then the rock is holding on to him um but yes okay so you weren't you didn't get it either i'm i'm sure i couldn't figure it out yeah i'm sure someone's written about it um not only that or... the rock
1: is centered in the promotional materials like the original poster if you that has it on the film the, that rock is in the center of it oh, so interesting i think it must be meaningful but i couldn't figure out what the rock meant so
0: yeah if someone knows what's up give us a shout for sure let us know uh, do you have anything else you want to say, or should we wrap this bad boy up? Let's move on to clean it, or let's move. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, wrap it up. That's what we're doing. <laughs> All right. So thanks so much for joining us this week. Next week we are going to go back to 2008 and cover *Slumdog Millionaire*. If you want to send us any feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Zvazda, Z-V-A-Z-D-A. And you can find Matt at... O-R-A-M-W-O-R-A-Y-M-W. And if you want to send us something longer than 240 characters, you can shoot us an email at podcaststreamit at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Um, We're now about halfway, I guess we're exactly halfway through season four. We haven't decided what platform we're going to do for season five yet. And if you've been a longtime listener, you know that we've been messing with and sort of changing our structure for the show just fine-tuning it, taking the stuff that doesn't feel quite right to try and make it as, as good as possible. So if you have any feedback on that, stuff you'd love to hear, stuff that really drives you crazy or you're just like, oh, I wish they would get through these sections quicker, let us know. We would, we would love to hear from you. And of course, as always, a, a double shout out to our good friend David Stewart, a.k.a. Estorial, who has been beta listener of the podcast and also spends tireless hours editing us if you have not heard matt coughing through this episode if you've only heard him coughing a little bit then that is all due to the hard work of (laughs) david stewart so thanks so much david we really appreciate it and uh we are going to switch up the end of the show a little bit i we've liked how it's been flowing with only one closing question So, and this week we have Matt brought the closing question. So what do you got, Matt?
1: Yeah, so if you were part of the Kim family and you were trying to infiltrate this rich family, what kind of job would you use to try to con your way
0: in? Mm. That is a good question. What kind of job? Well, I think it would have to be a job that I'm not like super good at, but probably could train myself up to. So I think something like an in-home chef. Is probably mm. something that like I'm not really the best cook in the world, but I think I probably could fake it enough. I mean, certainly not for Korean style cooking, but there would obviously be any number of things for any job. So I think I think that's probably probably my most film appropriate job. To so, something you wiggle could wiggle my way in.
1: You could look up on YouTube how
0: to do it, and then uh,
1: convince some rich people that you know what you're doing when you really don't.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah. for
1: me i'd probably i'd probably be a dog trainer uh for those oh. dogs because <laughs> yeah that's
0: good yeah. those
1: those dogs i don't know they have they have very particular needs and i feel like you could easily con your way into that fam- family as being you know the person that's training and taking care of the dogs and you know p- uh tricking the them into being like oh i think your dogs have trauma and i'm gonna need to work with them psychologically to unpack that so all of those kinds of things
0: that is that is an excellent answer.
1: So, yeah.
0: Well, I guess we will leave it with the dog training, and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.